How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Welcome to another edition of Locked on NBA. Really glad to have with us today the NBA draft Guru, extraordinaire, expert, myth, legend. I, I can keep going, but he's he's the best. That's really all I need to say. Chad Ford, ESPN Insider on the NBA Draft, joins us. Chad, thank you so much. Hey, David. It's always always a pleasure. Love being on your show. Now, Chad and I will hopefully do this again in June, and I will actually know something. As of this moment, the last time, Chad, I have seen any of these guys was in Portland last year at the Hoop Summit when I saw you. Oh, man. But I have not watched... Yeah, things have changed a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I have not watched an ounce, a moment of college basketball. So I'm really kind of coming to this from an ignorant standpoint. By the time I watch film and do all this stuff, we can talk again in June. So do, do understand there's a high level of ignorance on my part. But I want to start with... Kind of uh, two kind of angles. We'll talk about the NCAA tournament and the conference tournaments. Uh, we're recording this on the Friday of, of conference tournaments. Uh, up from just, we'll talk a little bit, kind of bracket, and then we'll break it down into kind of individual players. So let me start with kind of the oldest truism of NCAA tournaments: the team with the most NBA players wins. I mean, even if we think back to like, oh, Butler's so shocking, right? Except for the fact it had two, you know, NBA players um, when it was in the finals last year. Duke had a bunch of NBA players. What rosters have the most NBA players? You know, that's that's really interesting because you know this year, I, I think more than most, you know, what we look we look at, you know, Kentucky last year, and and they they ended up not winning. I mean, Duke ended up winning, but, you know, they had a ton and, 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 and like you said, Duke had a ton, you know, this year it's, it's a lot more spread out um, than in years past. Like you look at Kansas, I don't, I don't think they have, they may not have a first rounder uh, on their team and they're going to be uh, the number one seed. Uh, you, you know, you look at some of the blue bloods, Duke and Duke has one really great player, but you know, after that, there's some question marks, uh, you know, Kentucky, another team that's usually just stacked and, and you look and you, you know, their, their best draft prospect, uh, you know, Jamal Murray is, is, is a really great player, but then uh, Scott Labissier is, is, yeah, you know, you're not really sure about him. It, that makes it really tough. I mean, when you look at the favorites to sort of win it this year, it's really hard to pick out a team and say, okay, this is a team that's loaded with draft prospects. We were just going on that. We're just going on. Okay, um, who has the most lottery picks um, in uh, on their team? I, I'd say that you'd either pick you'd either pick Cal, uh, who has Jalen Brown and Ivan Rab and, and several other guys uh, that could be uh, NBA players, or uh, you're going to go and you're going to look at Kentucky and hope that the strong play that Scala Bissier has uh, played really over the last uh, couple of games continues he's finally figured it out and if that's the case I mean, those those are the two teams that i really look at that say okay they have at least two lottery picks uh on their team right now 538 did a nice article the other day 
in regards to how open this NCAA tournament is, that they've never had less favorites, really, in their statistical analysis than ever before. I think they use some Ken Palm stuff in there as well. Do you think that that makes this the NBA player phenomena more important or less important? Yeah, you know, uh, David, I'm also going to be, I'm also going to just clear disclosure right now. I am horrible at predicting who wins the NCAA tournament. Um, You know, every year I actually spend a lot of time thinking through this. You know, I have brackets, I have family members calling me, friends, coworkers, because I watch so much college basketball. Of course, I'm going to know who wins it. And, And I bomb it every year. I bomb it for two reasons. One, I'm an absolute Kansas homer. Uh, I, I grew up in Kansas City. I love. I have an irrational love for the Jayhawks. I basically think they're going to win it every year, and you know, with the exception of uh, you know Mario Chalmers hitting a big shot, they they don't. Uh, and so that that uh, that messes me up. And then, actually, for me, then again, because I'm watching teams for their NBA prospects and not watching them comparatively to say which team is the better team. I mean, I watch. NBA, I watch college basketball games very differently than like most of our college basketball analysts do, right? Because I'm, I'm focusing on individual players and I'm, I'm trying to figure out them and their strengths and their weaknesses as opposed to, you know, the overall strengths and weaknesses of teams. Um, all that means I'm, I'm terrible uh, at, at predicting. I wish, I wish I was better uh, at, at telling you who is going to win. So, you know, I don't, I don't really know uh, because every year I think, okay, this, you know, this team's going to be great. And yeah, they, they don't really always turn out to be that way. And, you know, especially like our number one pick in our draft, I'm going to play in the tournament um, probably Ben Simmons of LSU, unless, unless they go on a miraculous run in the SEC tournament, um, they're out the number four guy uh, on our, um, on our board, Henry Ellenson, uh, Marquette lost yesterday. They're, they're out um, of the draft. And you look at some of the other um, teams, Duke, the Duke's already out of the ACC tournament, and they have Brandon Ingram, the number two guy in the draft. I'm not sure what they're going to do. Cal isn't heavily favored. Um, they're going to be a middling scene. Uh, Kentucky has been up and down all year. They have great guard play and no, no real big interior play. And so, man, it, it becomes it becomes tough to really like draw out from me um, which of these elite NBA prospects is going to really help. Washington has a couple of, I think, terrific young players. Uh, they lost last night. Um, they're probably not going to make the NCAA tournament as well. And so it, it's tough because I, I agree it's wide open this year. I have not seen a great team. Uh, and I also will just say this. I don't think this is the strongest draft I have ever seen either. I'm not sure that there are the elite players in this draft that we're used to seeing um, that are going to carry a guy. So, look, if Buddy Hill gets hot for Oklahoma, I could see him going, uh, taking the team far. You know, we've got Denzel Valentine uh, out of Michigan State. Uh, he's, he's played great. I could see Michigan State uh, going far. In, in, in some ways, this draft has been a little bit about, for the first time in a long time, seniors uh, actually kind of moving up the board. I think we have more seniors in our top 30 that I can ever recall. I'd have to go back and, and really do the math, but I, I can't ever recall this many seniors um, being ranked this highly. And I think that's just something to the weakness of this freshman class um, and the fact that so many underclassmen left for the draft last year. Uh, and I think that's created some parity uh, in college basketball because you just don't have the dominant uh, freshmen that, that are really taking over the way we saw 
uh, Duke do last year and Kentucky do last year. Interesting, really interesting. Chad Ford uh, with some great comments there. All right, so you may have just answered it, but I just wrote down the following question. Do these young players not carry their team to success because they're not good enough, or is there something about college basketball that's prohibiting them from having an impact? Yeah, you know, look, every year the strength of the draft is based off of the incoming high school class, right? Uh, that's, that's always going to be the strength of the draft. And the last couple of years we had good, really good incoming high school classes. This year I don't think it's been the strongest. I don't think this is going to be a terrible draft. Uh, but I don't think this is one of the stronger ones um, that we've seen. And, and because of that, I think LeBissier is a great, great example of this. That he and you, you saw him out in Portland. He he looked unbelievable uh, in the Nike Hoop Summit. Uh, really talented. You know, people were like, "Okay, is he going to be the next Anthony Davis? Is he going to be the next Carl Towns?" And you know, you're in January, and the guy can barely get on the floor, and was going games where he wasn't even collecting a rebound, uh, and really dramatically changed Kentucky's team because they counted on him to be really their dominant low post presence. And, and he can't do that. Um, the last couple of games, he's gotten better because they figured out how to use him and they've used him as sort of a stretch, stretch big man. And, and they're getting involved 15 feet away from the basket and where he can really shoot the basketball and use him there. But you know, this guy's not going to be a guy that's going to go and power it up in the paint or um, what have you. But he, to me is a little bit um, representative of, I think a lot of the, um, the freshmen that have come to this class that just aren't ready. Now, look, Ben Simmons, ready. He's ready. Brandon Ingram's been, uh, you know, really, uh, really incredible to me. Henry Ellenson um, led his team in scoring. Jamal Murray is a 20-point-per-night scorer uh, for Kentucky. I mean, there's a few guys out there um, that after you kind of tick off those guys and maybe Jalen Brown out of, out, of, out of Cal, the pickings become a lot more slim. And, and interestingly, on each of those teams – Ben Simmons just didn't go to a very good team at LSU. Uh, if he'd gone to Kentucky, we'd be thinking about Kentucky completely differently um, right now. And, you know, I think that's, um, that's an issue. Uh, Brandon Ingram went to a very um, immature and young team. I think Coach K had more NBA defections because they won the national championship than he expected. And, and so that team is weaker uh, than, than, than normal. And, and, you know, Kentucky, like we said, maybe didn't get the contributions that they thought they were going to get for some people. So, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, tournament for me um, to, to see who's going to rise here, who's going to raise um, the level of their game. And I think one of the things, and maybe we're going to talk about this, but I think one of the things that's really interesting is does the tournament have any bearing on, on, uh, draft stocks because i think the popular opinion is it's huge it's the biggest stage it's the most important thing ever and i think most nba guys if you talk to them say ah it's just it's just a a few more games it's just another data point uh amongst a whole bunch of data points and it really doesn't matter and um i don't know what you think but I, i have some actually just having worked in this business for a while some strong opinions about that i think it moves guys up five to seven spots um I think I think that's about right. I've seen uh, some papers at the Sloan Conference that have made some arguments um, that way. And, and and not only does it move guys up five to seven spots, I, I've seen guys with disastrous tournaments uh, just lose all of their draft steam uh, a, a, as well. And uh, and I think it's the psychology of a couple things. It's the last time that you see guys play, and last impressions are a big one. 
really big one just psychologically um, for people. It's also on a huge stage. It's going to replicate in some ways the sort of pressure of NBA games and, and, and the playoffs and the single elimination tournaments uh, where guys are really playing and some are stepping up to the occasion and, and others aren't. I think people read into personality, uh, courage, um, you know, all of those sorts of intangible or softer skills, I think, start, start to get evaluated uh, a little bit in the tournament. And how scouts talk about players and their personality can be somewhat affected by what they saw in the tournament in the biggest stage when their whole season was riding on the line. I think uh, I agree with everything you just said, but I would say, and it's interesting because I think that it leads to a lot of mistakes. I, I think if we go through it, I've not done this. This is completely made up and which I don't usually do, but I would guess that if we go and find the guys, and it would be hard to figure out this metric. We should, you and I should try to work on it. It's probably your work, and I'll do the research or something. But you're, uh, if you find the guy that was at 15, that ends up at 9 because he had a good tournament, I'm going to guess more often than not, he should have been 15. Um, you know, Kemba Walker, five years into this league is in the NBA, is now finally having success. But he was certainly looking like a guy that was overdrafted. Trey Burke looks like a guy that was overdrafted. Shabazz Napier looks like a guy that was overdrafted. Gordon Hayward is turning out to be all right, uh, probably underdrafted, in fact. Um, I'm just trying to run down the list off the top of my head, but I think when we look back at some of these guys that have had these tournaments, these big tournament runs, you just get comfortable in late June because you've got all the intangibles, tangibles you talked about. You're probably better off going to what you thought about them in February. Yeah, I, look, I agree with all of that. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think there's other factors that come to play, too. And again, you know, if we had a general manager on there right now, he would scream to me, this isn't true. But I would scream back to them, you're human beings and you're not robots and you're affected by things. Like, for, for example, there's popular trends to draft guys based off of what they've done, right? You know, everyone's screaming when Shabazz Napier had the, you know, the tournament of a lifetime. Why isn't this guy hiring the board? Why are the people penalizing seniors? Why, you know, these are the things that we want. And I, I, I feel like all that noise, it comes from the media, it comes from fans. I think it resonates in, 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 in those hallways. Now, they say it won't. They say they could care less what people think. Uh, but, you know, when Adam Morrison gets drafted three, uh, I think it, I, I think it matters, right? I think it matters what, um, what the perception is on the outside as well. And I, I think there's an analytics example, and I'm not the analytics expert. We have Kevin Pelton on the phone, and he could probably um, explain this more than me. But in his, in his um, projections that he does, his analytic projections for prospects, there's a, there's a major regression that's going to take place for uh, a, a couple of things. One is, if a player uh, is older, um, right, it, it, we look at things with a bit of a grain of salt, right? And, and, and so like Napier is a you know, great example of, you know, he's a senior. He's out there. He's had four years of experience that he should be performing at a higher level um, at the tournament. He's been through this experience um, before multiple times, uh, in fact, and, and he should be now more prepared to come in and play. So when he has success, sometimes success against 18 and 19 year olds, you have to take that with a grain of salt because age and experience really matter um, at this age. And uh, most of the analytics show that 22 year olds have great 
seasons as seniors are typically have peaked and they're typically not going to be the same player that you think in the pros. And so you look at like two point guards that we're trying to figure out right now, Chris Dunn and Jamal Murray, you know, which guy do you go first? And, and you look at the numbers and say, yeah, Dunn's probably having a better season uh, than Murray is, but yet Dunn's 21 going on 22. Murray just turned 19. Dunn did not do this at Providence during his freshman season, what Jamal Murray is doing uh, as a freshman right now. This happened with uh, Miles Turner and Willie Colley Stein last year. You know, they're trying to compare two guys, but one guy has three years of experience and one guy had one, and you're trying to, trying to compare year three experience with year one experience. And I think what you really have to do is look at year one experience for both players, and that's maybe a little bit more apples apples to apples. So people are going to get excited about Buddy Hield. I think they're going to get excited um, about Denzel Valentine. I've seen on, on Twitter lately this sort of campaign uh, to draft Malcolm Brogdon out of Virginia. And he's going to turn 24 uh, in his first month in the NBA. Um, of course those guys are going to have better seasons. They've, they've played a lot longer, but that doesn't pre- predict future success in the NBA. And I think the same thing, you could hold the same thing true with the tournament. Just because they come in and overperform in, in a three or four game spent where they get really, really hot, does not suddenly, that data point is not more valuable than all of the other data points that are there. I think it's a data point. I think it's worth thinking about. Um, and factoring in, but I think you're pointing out, and I think you're right, that that data point suddenly becomes more important um, than all the other data points that you have. Okay, there's a million ways to go. Uh, let me let me point out just tournament. Here's the flip side of the tournament thing, and then I want to get back to the senior draft um, issue because there's some more details to it, and I'm a huge, 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 huge believer in it. The data shows it's true, and it's just so logical to everything you said. But let's go back for a moment on the tournament. Here's the flip side, and you're going to have to help me out. I, I think I'm going to probably have a memory on this that's slightly wrong. But I remember watching Kansas State play USC, I think it was, in the tournament. And Kansas State ran every player late, every play late for Billy Walker and not, nothing for Michael Beasley. And I said to myself, wait a sec, this coach knows something. Like, I think that's what I sometimes can see in the tournament. There's this high prospect, big deal. And wait a sec, in a do-or-die game, the coach is not using him in some way. That, I think, should often be a red flag. That should have been the red flag on Michael Beasley. Billy Walker's nowhere near as good as Michael Beasley, but clearly the coach couldn't trust him late in games. Well, that's, that's one explanation and might be the right one. The other one is coaches that tend to heavily rely on, on, on uh, players. That, I, I can't remember, was Billy Walker a freshman as well or no? I don't know. He, I think he might have been a sophomore. You know, he might have had a year or two, so your point's probably going to be good. Keep going. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, these college coaches are going to rely heavily on, on their seniors because they know them and they trust them more than they trust the freshmen. Most college coaches have an have a extreme distrust for their freshmen unless you're someone like John Calipari or, you know, Coach K, who has such elite freshmen uh, that, you know, they, they sort of overpower everything else. I think, I think that's, that's really common. You know, look at, look at Kansas right now. Uh, 
they, they've got Chick Diallo and Carlton Bragg. Those are their two best NBA prospects on the roster, and they barely get on the floor for the team this year because, you know, Perry Ellis has been there for four years, uh, and Landon Lucas has been there for three years, and um, Jamari Trailer's been there for four years, and, and Bill Self, as much as it's good for him in recruiting um, to have his guys drafted high, he wants to win a championship, and he thinks the way to do that is with experience over just raw talent. Uh, and um, and I don't know if he's right or wrong. I mean, we'll we'll see. I, I'm I'm praying he's right because I'd really like him to win the tournament. Uh, but you know, I watch those guys, and every time Carlton brags in the game, I'm like, this is clearly the most talented guy on this roster. It's like from a scouting standpoint and every time he comes into the game he does great things but he plays 10 11 minutes a night uh for for kansas it'll be really interesting he he could be if he entered the draft this year carlton bragg who plays 10 minutes a night roughly uh for kansas he'll be the highest jayhawk drafted uh in the draft and he probably will go somewhere in the first round and um and but i wouldn't read into that when he gets five or six minutes in a tournament game that coach doesn't trust Coach thinks that there's something fundamentally wrong with him. I think it's it's about also sort of relying on on who you know and who you trust. And and now Beasley, I mean Beasley's really interesting because uh, obviously um, Beasley's turned out to be a knucklehead uh, for a lot of ways. But Beasley also posted one of the greatest freshman seasons yep. in the history of college basketball. Uh, his projections, statistically, analytically, were off the charts. Uh, as far as what he did. And so in some ways that seems irrational to me because he was playing well for Kansas State his freshman year and he was helping them win basketball games. Uh, so, you know, just it, it, interesting sort of psychology and all this. And coaches play such a big role, obviously, in college. They do in the pros as well, but not nearly, I think, to the same level um, that they do in, in college. And so each of those situations, I'd have to – my first question would be, who's the coach? And, and what do we know about the coach and their history is sort of how they trust their young players before I'd read into that second thing. All right, let's talk about the seniors. You mentioned that there's more seniors in the top 30 ever. You also just mentioned that seniors have been uh, – there's a, there's a real pitfall to drafting them. Uh, to elaborate on Kevin Pelton's uh, really well-done research is basically the concept is exactly what Chad said. When you look at a senior as a draft prospect, you've got to go back and look at their freshman and sophomore year numbers. If their Steph Curry is a junior and their freshman and sophomore numbers are really good, then you can feel all right about drafting him. If they're Wesley Johnson or Epe Udo and their freshman and sophomore numbers are terrible, in fact, both those guys transferred, and they emerge as a junior or senior as a 22-, 23-year-old, 21-year-old against young kids, that is a red flag stay away. Jim or Fredette falls into that a little bit as well uh, with the explosion that he had. And those have been the bust. It's not a guarantee they're going to bust, but it's the most likely scenario to find a guy who's going to bust is this script. Which of the seniors that are being talked about in the upper part of this draft that we can watch in this tournament, Chad, are guys that had success early and which of them are really kind of, ooh, be a little nervous about this phenomena? Well, you know, one of the guys that's been – hard for me to figure out because he, he's going to be the college basketball player of the year is Buddy Hill. Uh, his freshman year, he averaged about 7.8 points a game. I uh, shot 38% from the field, shot 23% from three. Uh, not a great, not a great freshman season. Played 25 minutes a game. So, I mean, he, he got minutes. And, and then he had two, I think, really solid 
um, sophomore and junior seasons that, that put him in the draft conversation as a sort of bubble first round pick, late first round, early second round. He, he was a scoring machine. He shot it decently from three, shot 39% as a, as a sophomore, 36% from three uh, as, a, as a junior, um, only 41% from the field, though, as a junior, and actually regressed a little bit. We, you know, this year, Buddy's averaging 26 points a game shooting 50% from the field, shooting 47% from three. And for much of the season, it was closer to 50% uh, from three, taking a high volume of shots. And, and he makes all of these huge shots, and he shows up on these big games, and he plays his heart out every night. And it's clear when you watch him that the kid has worked relentlessly on his game, which I think is a good sign, right? Like one of the reasons he's improved it's not because he got more opportunity. It's because he's been working on the holes of his game. But then I say, okay, look, he's, he's undersized for his position. Um, that's a bit of a concern. He's a bit one-dimensional um, as a player. He's really a, a hired gun, a scorer, and, and I'm not sure there's much else that he does. And he takes shots with a high degree of difficulty, uh, right? And, and he makes them. You've got to give the kid credit. Like, he makes those shots, and he's been making them all year. But he used to not make those shots. He's making them this year. But there's a big difference when you get to the NBA and the players you're playing against are even bigger, even longer, even more athletic, when defenses are even more attuned to what you do. I think it's really hard to keep making those shots uh, when you get to the NBA, right? You have to have be, be able to get clean shots in the NBA um, and not these fadeaway, turnaround, uh, unbelievable sort of shots that Buddy Hill uh, can hit. Uh, on a regular basis. And that, that scares me a bit about him. And it's one, uh, you know, Kevin Coltman and I have just been talking about, because obviously the st- statistical projections are wary of Buddy Hill. Uh, they're looking at him and they see this sort of season a bit fluky. And, um, and all of those sort of factors check in. And, and I, I think he's going to be one of the most interesting players to watch because he's the type of guy who can be a darling in March, um, who's going to be, He's going to go off for some huge games. Will help Oklahoma probably win more games than they need to. Uh, is always involved in sort of last-second sort of uh, situations, which are the things that we remember the most about March Madness. You know what sort of happens the last minute uh, of games, and where does he go in this draft at at the age of of 22? Um, he'll turn um, you know 23 uh, in in December. Where does where does he go in this draft? I, some teams love him in the in the top ten, and other teams are much more skeptical and having as you know a sort of nice sort of scorer off the bench, and I, and I think that's where it starts. That's that's the first guy I think the most intriguing of the seniors because he's had that Jimmerford bet sort of bump. I so exciting to watch. Had so many Sports Center highlights every night. Um, people want him to be you know the next Dwayne Wade. That's interesting. Uh, the adage is that the tournament is a guard event. The history backs it up. Trey Burke, Kemba Walker, Napier. Like it backs it up. Who are the best guards, point guards that you've seen that can impact the next three weeks of basketball? Yeah, well, we talked about Buddy, and 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 I'd be shocked if he doesn't impact. I think he has thirty nine points in the in the big uh, last night against Iowa State. Um, but Jamal Murray out of Kentucky, uh, he's been on a, on a tear lately, 
a freshman of Canada, and we saw him at the Nike Hoop Summit, and he won the Nike Hoop Summit uh, for Team USA. Just dominated in that game. Mature beyond his years, and he's got a couple things going for him. One, Kentucky is a completely guard-centered offense right now. They don't have any scoring, really, on the wings or in the post, and that's going to put it on Tyler Ulis and Jamal Murray to get it done. Ulis, by the way, if people watch him, they're going to fall in love with him. He's the best point guard in America. Uh, if he was three or four inches taller, he would be a top five pick in this draft. And he's one of the best point guards, I, I, honestly, that I've seen in college basketball in a long time. He's just five foot nine and, uh, and you know, 100, 150 pounds. And that's a really tough um, fit um, at the next level. Um, and and, and he, he's great. But Jamal Murray, that's one thing about Kentucky is they do have that backcourt. They get killed on the boards. But they do have that that backcourt that could get really exciting. I think people will fall in love with Murray. He's he's got the basketball IQ. He's got the swagger. He he knows what he's doing out there. He doesn't play at all like a freshman. Uh, and I think he's going to have he could have a big tournament. Chris Dunn out of Providence, uh, who's extremely athletic, long, uh, flashy, makes incredibly great passes. Uh, just a dynamic player. He can take over a game. Uh, and uh, I, I think he's another guy, if Providence starts to get on a little bit of a run uh, in the tournament, that could get some buzz. Um, and and then, you know, after those guys, after those three guys, this isn't a particularly strong draft for guards that are going to have big games. There's Demetrius Jackson out of Notre Dame. I mean, he's pretty good. Um Denzel Denzel Valentine, if you want to call him a guard, he's pretty good. Um, I'm just going through, you know, Grayson Allen out of Duke, very polarizing player. Uh, The the sort of J.J. Redick of this draft, and he shot the ball well. He plays hard. He's athletic. He does does so many great things, but he's undersized. and Just just a very polarizing player. Uh, player, I, I, I think that's one of the issues this year is where is the great guards uh, when it comes uh, to um, the draft. And um, I think we talk about Murray, you talk about Dunn, Tyler Eulis is going to be great. I don't know where he goes in the draft. I think some teams should take a risk on him because they just think he's, he's too good not to. And after that, there's no one that really excites me uh, at the guard level, either the one or the two, um, that I that I think is going to be a huge impact player in the NBA. Interesting. All right, you may have just answered it, but uh, since I thought it was a fun question, I'll ask it anyway. Tonight on uh, your parent company, ESPN, I believe it is, there will be a basketball game that everyone should watch if they're not going to the Jazz game uh, of the Blazers and the Warriors. It'll be a backcourt battle of Davidson versus Weber State and Lehigh, which is not what we expect very often in this country when it comes to college basketball. Do we have any small school kids on schools that people might not know as well that we should keep an eye on here in the early early rounds of the tournament? Well, you know, it's interesting because every year the answer typically has been, yeah, there's one guy. There's one guy from a small school that's really going to get people uh, excited. He's going to shock, you know, shock the world when he plays. And, you know, I'm not sure that I know who that guy is this year. Again, without a really strong guard play, 
in, in this draft, it's really hard to sort of pick it out because it is typically, um, when you think about small schools, what you're typically thinking about are point guards and uh, or, or two guards that are really great scorers. It's rare that we see these guys coming um, that, are, that are sort of big men. Yeah, I mean, it's really, to your point, we've had it. It's Alfred Payton at a, whatever, Southwest Louisiana. There's been the Weber State. There's been the, there has. There's usually, the, it almost goes all the way back to Lindsey Hunter out of Jackson State some 20 years ago, that it seems as though there's always the one guy. Uh, and you're, and you're really even more right that if you think about the big guys from the schools you don't expect, it's the Kylo Quinns out of Norfolk State. But, the college recruiting is good enough that if you're six nine, six ten, they're not missing you, right? They're going to find you. So it's the it's right. the it's the CJ McCollum who was five foot three as a freshman in high school that matures late. It's the Damian Lilly that matures late and then shows the respect to Weber State head coach Randy Ray by saying, "You know what? You were the first guy in on me. I- I'm holding." I'm going to stay with you. Uh, it's that storyline. It very rarely is the six nine six ten guy. Oh, we didn't. We never. We 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 missed him. We didn't see him on the recruiting trail. Like that guy's found usually. You know, I don't think so this year, and and that's a surprise because you're right. I mean, every year there's one sort of Cinderella team and a Cinderella player, and and look. By the way, sometimes they're created in March. In other words, we may not know who that guy is right now and and he might get created over the next the next couple of weeks but as i look over my my draft list and i look especially at the guards because i think that's typically where you're going to see um nba teams really interested is in maybe an elite guard that plays at a small school no one really stands out to me you know i would have said uh khalil felder uh out of oakland he's an interesting player he's also five nine which which scares me but he's just the dynamo sort of player and you almost wonder with the success of someone like Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas in Boston right now, whether he might be a guy who's really underrated just primarily because of his size, but will come in and his ability to score the basketball and his strength and athleticism, whether that will lead him to having a productive uh, NBA career. But I, I think the answer this year is um, there's a lot of parity in college basketball, which is great. A, a small school could really surprise a lot of teams. But I don't think we're going to have an elite prospect like we've had the last couple of years coming out of a small school. All right, my final question for you. It's a league of trends and copycats, and I think a league that needs to find this position. And I believe, at least that last year, I think the Utah Jazz got very fortunate that I think they picked up a playmaking four at the 12th pick of the draft who was unsung at the time. And I think that will be the last playmaking four or any semblance of anything that goes underdrafted. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's underdrafted because that draft is turning out to be great. So, um, And I'll probably ask one more after that because of that. But... Uh, playmaking fours that are either good or that scouts are going to try to turn into Draymond Green in their mind? Uh, does Ben Simmons count? Is he underrated? No, he's probably not underrated. <laughs> I think he is underrated, actually. Um, I know that's crazy because he's going to be the number one pick. A lot of people have been picking on him, and, and if they can't shoot and uh, you know, you know, different things like that. This guy's the best passing big man uh, at the four position that I've ever seen. He's strong. He's athletic. He has a really high basketball IQ. I just think the way the league is going, what you saw at LSU uh, with him is not the NBA and get him on the right team, uh, right system. And, and Ben Simmons is going to be a, a superstar among superstars. I just think it's sometimes hard to see it in college because college hasn't had the same revolution uh, yet uh, that you really started to see uh, in, in the NBA. If you go down the if you go down the list a little bit more, 
One guy that really interests me, and, and scouts are a little bit all over the place on this, is DeMontis Sabonis um, out of Gonzaga. Um, to me, you know, we, we all know about his dad, Arvidas Sabonis, one of the great passing big men uh, of all time. And his son has a lot of that right now. He's getting dinged because he's not a great athlete. He's getting dinged because while he's a, he's a decent shooter, he doesn't really play really away from the basket, doesn't really stretch the floor. But when you look at the basketball IQ uh, of this guy, when you look at how he sees the floor, how he, handle, how he can handle defenses and, and his efficiency um, of how he's scoring the basketball, I mean, I think he's been really smart at Gonzaga. He's getting the shots that are the highest percentage shots for him, and, and people have really had a hard time stopping him this year. He's a really intriguing guy who a few years ago you'd say a little bit like Draymond Green, ah, you know, he's not an elite athlete and he's not, you know, particularly flashy and he's not going to just go out there and sort of you know, block shots and do, you know, some of the other things that we like, but he's a beast on the rebound, a beast of a rebounder. He's incredibly skilled. I think he's a terrific and underrated uh, passer who just sees the game. And he's a guy that, you know, you wonder about underrated. I have him 22 right now uh, in my top 100. And I wonder all of the time whether Sabonis uh, and Fran Fraschilla has been, you know, screaming this, that this guy is going to end up going um, in the lottery. You know, people look at it and say, look, he's only averaging 1.7 assists this year for Gonzaga. How does that make him a great passer? But watching play, and I think when you see, um, when you really see uh, his his basketball IQ, he's a guy who I think could end up just going a lot higher in this draft uh, than, than maybe people thought. Interesting. All right, final question. I lied because uh, all interviewers do. So you and I have talked a ton, and we'll probably talk about this more at length in the future, but I think this is fascinating. Two years ago was the draft. The Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, it was the draft. Dante Exum. Last year was, eh, you know, and last year's yeah, draft. middling is, draft. And it's turning out to be the top 13 kids in this draft may, unless I'm forgetting someone, no one's showing any sign other than maybe Frank Kaminsky, who would be that senior late developer. Uh, I mean, these guys are great, and they're all having big moments, and they're showing signs, and every time they get a chance. Why do you think that there was kind of this misread on these two drafts? Well, first of all, I will say that the the 2014 draft has also been marred significantly by injuries uh, that um, really up and down. Jabari Parker tears his ACL. Dante Exum uh, tears his ACL, right? Julius Randle misses his whole rookie season uh, with injuries. Joel Embiid uh, still not on the floor. You know, if people are taking to post YouTube videos of him and shoot arounds uh, before Philadelphia to see that. And I, I don't know that the case is closed yet on 2014 Aaron Gordon I think got off to a slow start but after you know after the dunk contest and after people sort of see what what he can do I think there's some excitement level there that I I agree with you that we thought that we were going to see a bunch of superstars come out of 2014 I'm still not sure that that won't be the case Uh, I I really start to say you watch Jabari a little bit I still am the big believer in Dante Exum and I, I think he um, is is going to be fine when he gets back. And, and Marcus Smart, I, I, I still see uh, a, a role for Marcus Smart. I still think Aaron Gordon could be the, the sort of Blake Griffin of his generation uh, in time. I, I think there's a lot of talent there. And I think it's just a little too early 
uh, two years into it to declare, okay, we, we got this fundamentally wrong because I think the injuries were just something that you can't necessarily um, predict, uh, that you'd have so many of them and that they would derail uh, so many teams the way that they have. With that said, I do think that the 2015 draft was was underrated. Um, and look, we we thought Towns was going to be a superstar, and and I I think that might have just even been underrated. Like I I think Towns is so good uh, that you know we we were going to be talking about him at some point. Maybe as a top five player in the entire league. Well, uh, Chad, Chad, and Chad, yeah, top one. Okay, top one could be. Could he's be incredible. Top one. Uh, he's gonna. I think he's, he's gonna incredible. win MVP before. Uh, I think he's gonna be MVP before uh, Anthony Davis. That's that's uh, that's an amazing claim. We'll we'll see. I I, I know Anthony Davis has taken a um, a step back this year, uh, but I still still big Anthony Davis fan, man. Uh, that's but he's in that conversation. I agree with you. Porzingis, I think, is gonna be. Um, a, a monster, and he slipped in the draft not because people didn't understand the talent, because they lacked the courage uh, right. to take him. I and mean, you couldn't watch this kid and not see what crazy talent he had and all the concerns that you have about Euros. When you talked with him, uh, when you looked at his background, you looked at his history, just, you know, I, I really felt like they melted. Like, I, you know, the Knicks got to steal the draft. D'Angelo Russell's starting to play better. Um, and, uh, you know, we're seeing Devin Booker start to play uh, better. You, you know, I've got questions about other guys. I, I question long-term to Lil Okafor. Um, I, I still, I think D'Angelo Russell's playing a lot better. Uh, you know, I still wonder a little bit, okay, when he gets on a good team, uh, it, can he be that star? Moutier, who I really liked before the draft, has had a very rocky transition. Um, and good for the Nuggets that they've given him the minutes and really let him play it out. But, He's gonna he's gonna have to improve some things. He's gonna have to improve his shooting. He's gonna have to you know get those turnovers down before we think about him as a deep impact player. But look, you're right. I mean, you go all through um, the top the, the the lottery, and every single one of these guys looks like um, they're um, a hit. And uh, I think one thing also that I'll say is good for the NBA scouts. Like uh, they they also got things right. Um, in this draft, and we know there's a you go back to like 2013, and they just they it was awful, um, right? Like how they how they picked that draft was just a mess, and I and I, I was messed up too. I, I uh, guys that I thought would be good turned out to be massive bust. Guys that I was very questionable about question question turned out to be really good. Um, and I think one thing we can say about 2015 is the, almost the draft order looks with a few minor tweaks here or there, move this guy up one spot, move this guy down two spots, seems about right. No, right. I think if you drop, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm forgetting something, but if you cut it off at 13, I think the top 13 are the top 13. You can intermix that order. Yeah, top, the, the top 13 yeah, are the top bit, 13. Yeah. You know, the other yeah, one, your point on that, because, gosh, I'm going to get the year wrong, but the Alec Burks, Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard draft, uh, 12 through 24 should be 1 through 10. Um, Except for Kyrie and, Irving, uh, Kyrie Irving's the number one pick of that draft. He he probably still is the number one pick. So two through two through twelve on that or two through eleven on that draft, which I think is the Jimmer draft, should be 20, fifteen through twenty two, and the rest of them should all be up. And that's that's the most incredible inverse draft I've ever seen. 
Well, in 2013, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Rudy Gobert are the two best players in the draft, and, and one goes 15th and the other one goes, what, 27? Yep. And now C.J. McCollum might be finding a niche in the league at 10. Or what was he? Was he at 10? He was, uh, yeah, he was, he was 10. I think he was uh, just one pick after Trey Burke, right? Right. I mean, Trey Burke and Michael Carter-Williams are both on the verge of like, trying to figure out their next step in their career. And interesting, and one of those guys was the uh, rookie of the year, Michael Carter-Williams, early on. And so, um, yeah, you know, this is not an exact science, and I I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of angst among friends, uh, fans, and and among NBA teams about this draft process. And I, I think all of us, me included, because I do this you know for a living, want to tell you, hey, look, my my view of this is sort of the right view, and you know my approach has always been I'm going to talk to as many NBA scouts as I can, and I'm primarily going to try to crowdsource this uh, with the experts. I've always sort of felt like they're going to do the drafting. They do this for a living. Um, we're going to crowdsource it, and then I'm going to watch as much as I can to try to get a baseline, to try to understand it, um, to try to look at trends and everything else to sort of add my own thumb on the scale, I guess, a bit. Um, and, you know, I've been doing this now for a long time, and I'm, I'm still humbled by the, <laughs> by the NBA draft. I mean, every year I'm humbled by guys that I didn't think would be that good becoming great and guys that I thought were going to be great not being so great. And, and sometimes you get right, too. Uh, and and I think one of the things that I'm, I'm still hoping, and I, I think the next, the next level of all this is not the analytics. Uh, I think it's the psychological testing and the understanding of the personalities and motivations of these kids. Because if, if I go back and look at bus and I look at, um, you know, guys that turned out to be better than expected, like Draymond Green or, or what have you, or Clyde Leonard or, or whatever they are. The one thread that I see woven through those is not whether the guy was good or not good at basketball. Um, it was what was woven in was what they did with their opportunity, how they reacted to it, what sort of work and effort that they put um, into that, um, what was their attitude, uh, their hunger, their work ethic, and then that that combined with opportunity is huge. And Kevin Feltman and I just argued, argued this the other day. Draymond Green, we know now Draymond Green is an unbelievable basketball player, and he would help any team in the league right now. But as a rookie coming out of college basketball, he landed in the perfect situation for him to get that opportunity to prove it. And I think if he had landed on other teams, he may have never gotten the opportunity uh, to prove what he was. And I also think the Warriors cultivated that uh, in him. And, uh, and I think that's the, next, that's the next level of draft analysis. And I also think it's the next level for NBA teams to figure out really who these kids are, how they fit, what's the personality, and how do we really develop these kids that we've invested in? Um, and really how do you develop them emotionally as well as physically? There's another hour to be done there. We'll have to do it some other time. Maybe we'll do that one in like in August when we both can breathe because uh, there's, so, okay. there's so much to it. It's actually you just – I mean I could go. You've just touched on my whole theory what the beauty of the Warriors is. Is every guy off that bench has been dispatched by teams because they didn't like what they did and they wanted them to do something else. And the Warriors just took guys and said, okay, just do what you do. 
Right, fine. Sean Livingston, yeah. be a post-up mid-range point guard that can't shoot the three. Like that's the that those are like evil words, right? Most spates, be a gunner with no interest toward defense and just shoot a bunch of mid-range jumpers. Like those two things are like if you said that to most people in the league right now, I mean that's like putting horns on a devil, right? Like those are evil, awful things. Right. Point guards that don't shoot threes and bigs that take excessive amount of mid-range jumpers, and they've just like hugged them and embraced them and given them David Thorpe's magic juice jelly or whatever he calls it, and they've prospered after failing in other places. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. You're absolutely right. To me, the greatest coach is not the coach that can impose a system on everybody else and demand that players come and meet a system. The greatest coach looks at the collection of talent that he has and figures out how to create a system that maximizes all the talent that he has on his roster. Um, Steve Kerr has done that, and, um, and the Warriors have allowed it to happen. They have a culture that allows that to happen. And um, that's why they're awesome. On that note, beautiful ending. Chad Ford, thank you very much. Uh, follow Chad on Twitter. Actually, I don't have it up right now because I was trying to leave. Uh, so let's see. It's, is it at Chad Ford Insider? It's, what is it? Yeah, at Chad Ford Insider. At Chad Ford Insider. Feel free to send him a thank you for his time. We appreciate it very much. Keep up the great work. Enjoy the tournament. And uh, we'll, hopefully you and I get a chance to talk in June. All right. Talk to you later, David.